You're listening to the Speak of Money podcast, episode two. Hello and welcome to the Speak of Money podcast. I'm your host, Mary Deshawn Kinkalar. I'm really glad you could join me today because it, we're in the middle of summer here and I can't believe we're already in July. It seems like my daughter just got out of school. It's been a while now. Um, we brought a puppy into the house in the last week and a half. That is for another episode. We're kind of learning everything that goes along with taking care of a puppy. <sighs> and in addition to that, you know, work's going along, but now we've got the 4th of July weekend coming up here. And I thought this would be a great time for us to just talk about your goals for the year, do a refresh to say, what have you done that you may be laid out in January that you haven't accomplished yet? What have you accomplished so you can reward yourself? But for those areas in financial planning that maybe you said you were going to get on top of your finances for this year and you haven't, now is a great time to take a look at it and give yourself a refresh. You still have the rest of the year and you don't want to see it slip through your fingers. I'm actually going to host a special 10-day Money Swift Kick Challenge that starts this weekend. So if you had promised yourself to get your finances on track and you're either you got too busy or you aren't making the progress that you had hoped you could, please join me. Go on over to the speakofmoney.com website and you can find out the details on how to sign up for free to join the challenge. I'd love to have you with us because there's still a half a year here to go, so don't lose momentum now. Let's make the most of it. And that kind of takes me into what I want to talk about today. You know, this year has been a little uh, sporadic on the returns in the market. We're seeing ups and downs, and you hear a lot in the news about, you know, every other day it seems like there's an issue that is coming out. And last week we had Brexit, and what came out of Brexit was a few days of down, down, down returns in the market, in the stock market, and then all of a sudden a rally back. And I think this is a good time to talk about how those news events and those economic events that can happen, and they will always happen, there always will be different ones that come out, but how those impact you if you're not fully aware of what's going on or at how it does impact you, and you may be wondering what should you be doing. So what happened recently with Brexit is an example of why I don't believe in jumping in and out of the markets just based on the news or the um, panic and doom that can come through. I'm not saying that I know what's happening with Brexit or what's going to happen or what the, what the long-term ramifications will be, but the knee-jerk reaction that can happen in so many cases when news comes out can be very damaging if you... If you follow that, and we call that the herd mentality, if you follow along without taking a step back to see, have your goals changed? Should you be doing that? It should be on a personal basis, not just because everyone else is fleeing the markets. And so I don't believe in trying to time the markets. I call that speculating, not investing. It can be very damaging for people who jump in and out of the markets just because of what's being shown in the news. Um, so I can understand, though, how those events can make you feel nervous and afraid or vulnerable. And I thought there was an 
actually a really uh, good quote from Ron Lieber in the New York Times this past week. On Monday, he wrote in a article talking about Brexit, and he said, the impulse when the stock market abruptly plunges is to do something, anything. Our life savings are often on the line, after all. And that raises a really good point. You know, you tell people you shouldn't do anything, remain calm, that doesn't sit well. It feels like you should be doing something. But actually, when you do these things, sometimes it can cause more damage. So in today's episode, I really wanted to talk about behavioral economics, or what we talk about in the investing area, we call it behavioral finance. And what this means is that we as humans have these little shortcuts that we make in our brain when we're processing things. Um, Oftentimes they're called heuristics, and we look at it from a way to protect ourselves, but we're looking at how do we size things up quickly and make decisions. And in the area of behavioral finance, there are psychologists who have identified certain key areas that say we're, that we have biases that can kind of throw us off and make us make decisions that are damaging to our long-term financial health. Now, you know, sometimes you'll hear you should follow your gut. That's true, but you have to take a step back sometimes and not just always work from the gut. You may need to take an objective view or speak to someone who's gone through things a little bit before and has the experience to maybe guide you to say, you know, that's, that, that's a damaging action that you're taking. So I wanted to go through some of the top um, biases that you need to be aware of, and maybe you'll see yourself in one of these things. And this is what I see when I'm working with clients that I often have to assist them to make sure they're not falling into one of these traps. So the first one is what I just talked about a few minutes ago, the herd behavior. We also call it the, the bandwagon effect. So everyone rushes in one direction. Everyone's selling out of the stock market or everyone's buying into the stock market at one time. And just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right. They may not have all the information. They may be doing it from the standpoint of this herd behavior and it can compound the problems. Second one is what's called recency bias. See this frequently when I'm working with clients. Um, after the market tanked in 2008, a lot of people pulled money into cash and sat on the sidelines for a very long time because in their minds, any little blip in the market after that uh, was doomsday. We were going to go through it all over again. 2008 was back in full force, and here we go again. So the recency bias was that What we talk about here is that the facts of recent events have a stronger influence on what you, on the decisions you're making than anything that has happened further in the further away. So in the distant past, you lose sight of that and you're more focused on what's happened recently. So flip that now to say the last couple of years when the markets were doing much better. No, they haven't done so well in the last year and a half, but let's look back to say like 2000. 12 and 2013, all the way into 2014, there were a lot of people who were investing more aggressively because the market had been doing well. And so in their minds, they had almost forgotten about 2008, and they were now focused on the gains, and they wanted to be a part of that. So two things were in play. They could be doing the bandwagon effect, jumping on the bandwagon that everyone else was on, and 
the other part was that they lost any remembrance of what was happening in 2008. And so now they're taking more risk than they would have taken in the past because of the recency bias. Um, I have to, when I'm working with folks, I'm always talking about having balanced portfolios, not too much in any one area and a blending. And that was very difficult to communicate to people who felt like they should be more aggressive because the market's been doing so well. So you'll hear things, people say, well, market's doing so well, I should be in the market. Like the assumption is if it's never going to have another down day. And then of course it does have down days and then they get scared and they jump out again. So as you can see, a recency bias can get you in trouble just as much as the bandwagon effect or the herd behavior. The third type of bias that I see often is a negativity bias. And this is the type of bias that happens when you give more importance to negative news. So when you hear negative stories, you're already inclined to think that that's more, has a higher relevance than positive news. So that can cause you to be more risk adverse than what you need to be for your long-term goals. So that is something we have to pay attention to. So if you're always looking at the doom and gloom scenario and you never see the positive aspects of the markets, you're very likely going to be resistant to taking on risk. And you need to take some risk in a portfolio. And obviously that's unique to every person. I can't go on here and say everyone should have X percent in their portfolio because that would be... That would be uh, foolish for me to do that because everything should be customized to your unique situation. But the negativity bias can lead you to take on to be to the point where we used to refer to the negative Nelly. Yes, bad things can happen, but you've got to understand that a reasonable amount of risk is necessary. And if you don't take some risk, you can run the risk of growing poor safely. I'd say the fourth bias that I see most often has to do with anchoring. Really what this means is that you lock into something, you, you attach yourself to something. It's, this is usually not so much about the, the markets, but this might be a decision you've made, a career choice, a purchase. On the investment side, it could be an investment you've made that you don't want to let go of. And so it's something that you're holding onto that you cannot release even though it doesn't make sense anymore. So you have the tendency to either hold on to it too long or you, you're just putting too much reliance on something and it's outlived its usefulness and you are not releasing it. And so we call that anchoring. And that can be damaging. I see that often with real estate. People hold on to a property. It's not serving them well. They're uh, maybe renting it. They're breaking even on their rent, rental income. They may actually even be losing money on the on this rental property, but they have this attachment to it because it's it has a different meaning to them that for some reason they cannot break free of it. So that's one I want you to be aware of. And it's not they're not taking a, a truly objective view as to how it's impacting their finances. And connected to this takes me to the next bias, which is called loss aversion bias. And I do see this one a lot with real estate when people have rental properties or they bought a home that doesn't serve them anymore and perhaps it's gone down in value and even if they can get out of the property and take a loss on it, and this also happens with investments, regular traditional investments, they don't want to take the loss and move on 
we call it like sunk costs, they're waiting for it to come back. And in many cases, it's not going to come back, or it's going to take a very, very long time for the value to come back. And they're still attached to it, though, because to them, the loss is something that they're trying to prevent, because as long as it's just on paper, and it hasn't become real, they're okay with it. But if they lock it in, and they actually make a transaction where it goes through, and they've locked in their losses, then they feel defeated. For example, we saw this with in homes in particular, I saw this a lot, where people uh, paid X dollars for their home, it went down in value after the market tanked, and the market's come back, but it's it's coming back, you know, maybe it's come back slowly, and it could still take a long time to come back to, to break even point, yet they want to continue holding on to it, and this is a rental property, and they want to continue holding on to it, even though they're losing money every month that they hold on to it because they're financing it, they're, they've got overhead costs and the headaches that go along with it. But to them, they've got to get back to that break-even point. That's a clear case of loss aversion bias. Those are the top biases that I see when people are making decisions from their gut as opposed to taking a more practical, stand-back, objective view of their finances. And so if you're seeing yourself in any of this, just recognize where you might fall into one of these categories you may experience all of them. I've experienced them before. I've had loss aversion. I've done that before. And that is why it's useful sometimes to have another opinion, to have someone look at things with you to say, is this a practical direction that you're taking? Or are you reacting from emotions on this? Now, I, you know, I I get really upset when I hear the idea that don't be emotional with your money. That is hogwash. You have to be emotional with your money because we're all emotional creatures. So you cannot separate your emotions from money. It's more important to understand how your emotions impact your decisions and try to manage around that. But don't ignore them or try to say, I'm not going to be emotional about my money. That's just not going to happen. These are the top ones that I wanted to share with you. There are others out there that um, come into play like overconfidence, but Our brain is a very complex tool that can help us make decisions very quickly, but we need to be careful about how we use that information. And before you jump into any conclusion, you want to consider which one of these biases you might be using at that point and say, is this something that's impacting me? Am I making a wise choice? Or am I just reacting based on one of these um, one of these areas that I'm attached to? So if you have questions on these or any other financial planning topics that you'd like to have me cover in an upcoming episode, send your questions in to me through the speakofmoney.com contact page. You can go to speakofmoney.com slash contact. And there's a form there that you can fill out and send me your questions. And I may use one in an upcoming episode. I'll keep your information private but I cannot provide personalized financial advice through that website. But I'd love to have your questions so that we can uh, address them in upcoming episodes, because if you have a question, probably someone else has a similar question. As I mentioned, I'm going to be starting the Money Swift Kick Challenge to help you jumpstart your finances, and we're going to be kicking that off this weekend. So if you can scoot on over to the speakofmoney.com website, you'll find out more information on how you can sign up there. 
and it's all for free. And it's a great way to kind of get the second half of the year off to a good start. So by December, you are making progress and not feeling like you didn't make any progress for 2016. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to having you join me on the next episode. Take care. This podcast and the opinions voiced in this podcast are resources for educational and general information only. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual. No information in this podcast should be considered financial advice, and it should not take the place of consulting with your own financial, tax, or legal profession. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your own financial advisor prior to investing.